Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, David Bethay, coming to you today from the Tatooine Studios to discuss the rookie year Cal Pitts and to assess whether or not the Atlanta Falcons made the right pick with taking Pitts at number four in the 2021 NFL Draft. If you're new to the show, please follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can email us, tideronsports at gmail.com. And please, please, please make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and share with friends if you think it is worthy. So in talking about the Kyle Pitts draft selection by the Atlanta Falcons, I kind of want to work backwards. So stick with me here as I'll go through a little bit of an exercise in evaluating the widespread big picture of the Falcons franchise. And then we'll hone back into specifically what Kyle Pitts did this year and whether or not that justified his spot in the draft. So we just finished one of the best weekends of playoff football in NFL history and as you watch these four super compelling games between eight teams that had just really high-level play all over the field, there were a few trends that were very, very clear that I want to highlight. So I'm going to list all four, and I want to go back and touch them each individually. The first was high-level quarterback play. The second was high-level pass rushing. The third was having a go-to wide receiver. And the fourth was clutch kicking. So going back to number one. The high-level quarterback play, if you go back and look at the games and look at the, the numbers for the quarterbacks in this game, and, of course, the big game was the game between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs where Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes had straight fireworks going, scoring 25 points in the last two minutes of that game. It was unbelievable. It was like a college game. It was like watching Baker Mayfield versus Patrick Mahomes in college when they were at Texas Tech and Oklahoma. It was nuts. <clears throat> But one of the things that we saw this week is that the quarterbacks had exceptional games, also had excellent pass protection. In the Chiefs-Bills game, there were only four sacks and six quarterback hits on 81 pass attempts. Matthew Stafford, who put together a fantastic game against the Bucs with 366 yards and two touchdowns, was only sacked twice in 40-plus dropbacks. And to put it simply, when you look at the quarterbacks that performed well, the quarterbacks that got protection put up big numbers. So, again, keep that in mind as we talk about what, what the Falcons did with the number four draft pick and who they selected Cal Pitts over. Going back to number two, high-level pass rush. To put it very simply, the quarterbacks that got pressured didn't play well. Aaron Rodgers was sacked five times and hit seven times on 29 pass attempts. He didn't throw a touchdown. He had a QBR of just 19.4, and the weather had something to do with that. There was drops, passes. There were dropped passes, but he didn't play an Aaron Rodgers-type game, and the pressure had a lot to do with that. Joe Burrow was sacked nine times and hit 13 times on 37 attempts by the Titans. The fact that they won that game is a miracle because Burrow didn't throw a touchdown pass, and really the only reason the Titans didn't win that game is because they threw three picks, one inside the Bengals' 10 and another one in the last drive when they were right at the edge of field goal range. Number three, a go-to wide receiver. And this is one that really surprised me when I went back and broke down these games. Seven of the eight teams in the divisional round had a wide receiver with at least 100 yards. Six of the eight teams had a wide receiver that had at least 100 yards and one touchdown. The only team that won and didn't have a 100-yard receiver was San Francisco. And I specify wide receiver here because 
None of the tight ends topped 100 yards this week, and only one tight end even caught a touchdown this past week. That was Travis Kelsey. The divisional round was dominated by passing. I mean, it was a throwing round, and the teams averaged 34 passing attempts per game. And the leading rusher for the entire divisional round was Patrick Mahomes with 69 rushing yards. Outrushed every running back that played in the divisional round. Now, there are some teams that had good rushing games, but there was no standout rushing performances by any of the running backs in this round. It was dominated by quarterback play and wide receiver play. Again, something to keep in mind. And the last thing, clutch kicking. The last regulation play of every divisional round game was a made field goal. That's just, it, was, it was just unbelievable. And three of the four games were decided on a last-minute field goal, with the fourth, the Bills-Chiefs game, being sent into overtime on a last-minute field goal. And every game this week was decided on the last play of the game. So, that's a little background. And looking at these four patterns, how many of these boxes do the Falcons check? High-level quarterback play? Not this year. High-level pass rush? Absolutely not. Finished last in the league in sacks. A go-to wide receiver? Well, we had one, and he then sat out the majority of the season. And the other one that we had, we traded, which was, in hindsight, a really good move. And then clutch kicking. Ding, ding, ding. There's the one box we check. We got a really good kicker in Young Waku. So you're looking at what you saw in this. So you look at what you saw in the playoffs this week and the trends and what these teams had in common. And you see that the Falcons only one fourth of the way there. And the part of the equation they have right is probably the least important part of all the equation, which was clutch kicking. And so knowing what we now know about this year's draft class and what was successful in this year's playoffs. Let's circle back around to Cal Pitts and say, knowing the other players in the draft, how the rookie years went, did we make the right choice? So very quickly, Cal Pitts' numbers, 68 catches, 1,026 yards, and one touchdown. The yardage total is the second highest total ever for a rookie tight end, and that was good for Pitts to finish 19th in the NFL in receiving yards. And this brings back up one of the problems that I said earlier. Tight ends, even if they are elite, are not as valuable as wide receivers. It's just true. And by comparison, listen to the recent rookie years of some of these stellar receivers. Jamar Chase in his rookie year this season, 1,429 yards, 13 touchdowns. This is one of the best rookie seasons in NFL history. Following another one of the best rookie seasons in NFL history the year before by Justin Jefferson, his teammate, who went for 1,400 yards and seven touchdowns. Even flip back to Michael Thomas, who wasn't even a high draft pick out of Ohio State in 2016, 1,137 yards and nine touchdowns. So Kyle Pitts, who just had the second best rookie season ever, finished 400 yards behind Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and had significantly fewer touchdowns. So, Again, I will say what I've said before. The reason that I was critical initially of the Pitts pick wasn't because I didn't think he was a good player. I actually think Kyle Pitts is the second best player in that draft behind Trevor Lawrence. Coming into the draft, I did. Obviously, in reflection, the best player in that draft was Michael Parsons, but we'll get there in a second. 
I think over the long term, obviously the most impactful position you can draft is quarterback. I thought, like most people, that Lawrence was a slam dunk as a quarterback prospect. And I thought Pitts was going to be a generational tight end because, as we said, Pitts' ceiling is best tight end ever. And his rookie year gives you an indication that that's probably the project that seems to be the trajectory that he's on. However, here's the problem with that. The best pass-catching tight end in NFL history is probably going to end up being Travis Kelsey by the time it's all said and done. Right now, it's Tony Gonzalez because of his longevity. But it looks like it's going to end up being Travis Kelsey. And if it's not, Kelsey is in the top three with him, Gronk, and Gonzalez. Put him in a bag, mix him up, whichever one you want to take out. Those are probably the three best pass-catching tight ends in the history of the NFL. All right, so Kelsey had the best tight end season ever in NFL history in 2020. 1,416 yards. 105 on 105 catches and 11 touchdowns. That's not even as good as Jamar Chase's rookie year this year. <laughs> that best tight end season in NFL history that Kelsey put up in 2020, he finished second in the NFL in yards, which is really impressive, and fifth in touchdowns. Now, in 2019, the year before, he led all tight ends in yards with 1,219, which was good for the fifth most yards in the NFL. And again, these are the back-to-back best tight end seasons in NFL history. In 2018, he actually had more yards, 1,336, and that was good for being 10th in the NFL in total yards. And this is the issue. High-level tight end play is never as valuable to an offense as high-level wide receiver play. Now, in the Falcons' defense, they expected to return one of the best young wide receivers in the NFL and Calvin Ridley to pair with Pitts. So, for those of you that are going to say, well, they should have taken Jamar Chase. Well, you thought you had Calvin Ridley to pair with Kyle Pitts, which made a lot of sense. You came in believing you had a legit wide receiver one, even if you traded away Julio and got draft capital. So, can't really fault them for not taking Chase. But what about some of the other errors we talked about? Now, no rookie quarterback was going to give you elite quarterback play with this team because the Falcons are terrible in the offensive line, and we saw what happened to Trevor Lawrence playing behind a bad offensive line with not very many weapons. We saw what happened to Zach Wilson playing behind a bad offensive line with not very many weapons. They were awful. They played on bad teams. Trey Lance barely played, and Justin Fields was in and out of the lineup in Chicago and wasn't good when he did play. Rooting for these guys to be good, but let's just be honest. The rookie quarterback class this year were ter- was terrible. They were not good. The best player in the draft this year was Micah Parsons. And that wasn't hard to predict, but what no one could have predicted was that he would play at an all-pro level, essentially playing a different position than what he did in college. In college, he was a run-and-hit inside linebacker who had elite speed and created a lot of havoc. In Dallas, he's a do-everything edge rusher, which is something that I predicted that I thought he could do, but not to the tune of being possibly the NFL's defensive player of the year. You know, he's right up there with, you know, T.J. Watt in these defensive player of the year conversations. T.J. Watt just set the NFL sack record or tied the NFL sack record. I don't think you could have predicted that. So it's easy to look at Parsons and face palm wondering why the Falcons didn't take him to fix their pass rush, a pass rush that finished dead last in the NFL again with just 18 sacks. But I say you have to excuse them for the fact that they thought, okay, inside linebacker, Fouye Lucon has had a great season, and he followed that up with another good season. Deion Jones has been an all-pro. That's probably one position where we don't have gaping holes, and 
we don't know that Parsons is going to be an effective pass rusher. Turns out he was, but I don't know that that's even one that you could have faulted the Falcons for not pulling the trigger on. What about Panay Sewell? The rookie tackle for the Lions graded out better than every offensive lineman for the Falcons except for Chris Lindstrom, and that's according to PFF, whose grades aren't gospel, but they are helpful. So how much better would the team have been with him at right tackle instead of Caleb McGeary, who allowed nine sacks to Sewell's five, and Sewell had 20 more pass blocking attempts? It's just real easy to second guess all the other ways we could have helped this team. And so this goes back to the question I asked at the beginning. Was Pitts the right pick? And I know this is going to be a cop-out. My answer is that I think his evaluation is incomplete. He was forced to be the number one option on a team with terrible offensive line, no run game, a rookie head coach, and a quarterback learning a new system. He was set up to fail. And when I say fail, from a numbers standpoint, his numbers were great, minus you know not getting the end zone a lot. But he had stats that didn't really impact winning, and he struggled to find the end zone. And a number of players behind him, we just mentioned them, had exceptional rookie years. Chase Sewell, Parsons, and even Patrick Sertan. The players all taken right behind him. But nearly all of them, except for Sertan, excuse me, but nearly, but nearly all of them, except for Sewell, landed in much, much better situations with talent that complemented them and allowed them to carry a much lighter burden than was asked of Pitts. One of the reasons that Micah Parsons is so good is because he's got DeMarcus Ware on the other side. He's got Leighton Vander Esch behind him. He's got Randy Gregory on the other side. Those things help him excel as a pass rusher. And if Kyle Pitts becomes a player that we think he's going to be, which it looks like he will be, the question would be whether or not he can be a cornerstone of a winning franchise and the answer to that is going to depend on a lot of things that are beyond his control. So let me say this in conclusion. Kyle Pitts being picked at number four is a wasted pick if you do not address all the other holes on this team. Elite tight ends don't win championships. But elite weapons are crucial to succeeding in the playoffs. There ain't a lot, there's not a lot of tight ends winning Super Bowl MVPs. But it's not hard to see how Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey have been instrumental in helping their teams win Super Bowls. But the problem is that for any outside weapon, whether it's a receiver or a tight end that's a unicorn like Kyle Pitts, their play is largely reliant upon quarterback play, which is largely impacted by line of scrimmage play. And until those issues are addressed, Kyle Pitts and his otherworldly skills will be nothing more than a sideshow that's largely ignored by the rest of the NFL on a seller-dweller team. Was Pitts a good pick? I hope so. But as of right now, he gets it incomplete. That's it for today. This has been Dave Bethay for the Title Run Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening.